So welcome everybody to uh, this week's podcast. This is Scott Quattel, your podcast host, ecologist guy. Um, I'm going to now get myself situated just like uh, you're invited to do. Um, I got some more uh, discussion that at least makes my blood kind of go near the, the boiling point. So um I invite you to, you know, get yourself relaxed. I'm uh, going to light my uh, match again. I got a bigger stick of incense this week, so it might even last me like most of my my discussion here. Let's see. Ah, I'm getting calmer already just by a, ah, got my first um, little uh, whiff of it. Very good. All right, so the, the incense is lit. Um, this time I brought with me a nice piece of smooth, kind of like, I don't even know if you would call it quartz or quartzite. Um, I think it's a quartz. Um, a quartzite is a, is a metamorphic rock that, um, that comes from uh, sand, which turned to sandstone and then got, um, due to some other geologic forces, gets further, um, gets harder and, and, uh, and in a metamorphic state. And so it's quartzite. But What's been fascinating is uh, if you've taken any walks lately um, in, in the in in nature, the uh, flood, which might even which will figure in a little bit to my uh, talk this evening um, that we had the other day. Um, if you're a rock hound, the way I am, it like because of erosion and because of all that crazy flooding, you can go to places and a lot of places literally got dug up by the water. There's kind of nothing more powerful over time than water. And so uh, I found myself some really cool things. But I found a smooth uh, piece of, um, you know, of like I, it's some kind of a quartz that uh, that 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 um, came into the Wissahickon millions of years ago, in between all the schist when the uh, when the Appalachians were built. So not my discussion tonight. But when I say the Appalachians were built, when there was no Atlantic Ocean in Africa and and uh the philly area were kind of bumped up against each other the two plates um that's when the wissahickon turned to schist and um but then uh some other minerals and rocks came in there at the time so i got i got a little um tactile re release here through this nice smooth piece of quartz that i have kind of like orangey on one side and off-white on the other pretty cool so i found that today and i'm gonna just have it with me um as i do some of this blood boiling discussion, okay? So, um, hopefully, you're all uh, ready to go, and you're kind of in the in the mood for um for just some uh, mind wander and uh and and taking it all in kind of thing. So, there's this place, a place where we dive and delve into the wonders of our surroundings, where the laws conciliance, a jumping together of knowledge, forming a bridge that strongly connects the sciences, the arts, the humanities a place where natural systems and human systems coexist in harmony, where connections are sought between humans and nature, humans and humans, nature and nature. And yes, a place where land, the living layers of earth, is an equal member of the community with rights just like humans. In this special place, the sense of wonder is our sustenance. You've just arrived at the land health ecosystem. So here we are, one week ago, 
I preempted my discussion about giving you a walk through Philadelphia, a special um, racial and injustice walk, environmental injustice walk through Philadelphia. Um, but that got not preempted, but kind of like, uh, you know, pre-prioritized by, um, by that master plan I talked about for the, uh, for the refinery site on the lower Schuylkill. And so um, we are going to get into a little walk around Philly, but, um, but the last week has not been static in the least. Okay. So we met last at this time, it was a Thursday evening and on the weekend, the New York Times featured an article. And um, if you haven't seen it, check it out. It's an awesome, beautiful, sad, deep, heart-ripping kind of article. It's entitled, Pollution is Killing Black Americans, This Community Fought Back. And the author is Linda Villarosa. And so what's the New York Times writing about? Well, they're writing about the very thing that we talked about last week, the, uh, this Hillco refinery site that um, where, where we just uh, were given a first public look at their conceptual master plan for that area. And the article is just, uh, it's just an excellent history lesson about injustice over the years. Um, but, but the New York Times chose to write about Philadelphia and they chose to specifically write about Gray's Ferry. And they focused on the impact of 150 years of refinery doings at, you know, um, on, the, on the residents that live next to it. And so, as we talked a little bit, but, you know, that whole area of Gray's Ferry, it's, uh, it's, it's largely a black neighborhood. And, um, and what the article reveals in, in addition to just kind of giving a whole backdrop of, um, of, of environmental racism over the years, starting with, you know, the aspects of redlining and, um, and then the aspects of, uh, you know, in, in, in areas that got redlined and then became um, er more, more like, like ghettos. And then on top of that, the city would concentrate its, uh, its affordable housing um, projects in these places more so than in other places. And so that's, so basically the, the article does trace that history in, um, in this part of Gray's Ferry. But then the, really the focus is that the residents of, who live near that, that refinery site, the occurrence of cancer there is just through the roof. And the occurrence of asthma there through the roof and all kinds of health conditions um, lots of people dying prematurely, all owing to the, uh, you know, to all the pollution that has emanated from, from that site, you know, over the last 150 years. So it's, 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 it's very much worth reading. Um, it's just, a, it, it's just basically lays it out, but it also helps make that argument that I'm, that I kind of closed with last week that I will come back to that, you know, the, the site, deserves something much more than being a place um, comprised of things that are, you know, inarticulately called logistics centers, um, basically these big, huge warehouses, and then taking the, uh, the polluted soil and doing nothing with it other than kind of locking it up, you know, basically in a casket, so, so to speak. Um, so uh, not, not, not 
the move that you want to make on a neighborhood that's been so, um, you know, so derailed in so many in so many ways over so many years. So anyway, that that's an that's one occurrence that happened a couple of days after we uh, we last met. Add to that on Tuesday, we all noticed. I'm sure we had a flood, and so that flood caused all kinds of havoc in a lot of different places. But the Schuylkill River hit what I believe is the second highest crest on record. So the Schuylkill River way more than flooded its banks. It just like took over its banks. And um, in various areas, it just, it just literally swallowed, you know, belongings, um, lower levels of houses. Um, it just, it just, it was just devastating in, in so many ways. And, um, so what happens, you know, in an area that used to be a refinery for 150 years and was recently shut down and it gets bathed in a, uh, in a flood like we had, um, you could kind of, you know, use your imagination and you probably might not be imaginative enough. But, you know, when you, you know, anytime there's a light rain, um, it's, it always washes pollutants on, that are on the street that, that might be in people's lawns like lawn chemicals. You know that all—all all of that stuff gets transported into the nearest storm drain, and, and and a lot of times directly into streams themselves. And in so much of Philadelphia, um, in 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 areas where there's a you know a combined sewer system, if there's enough rain, a lot of those pollutants um, do not get treated in a sewage treatment plant. They actually just wash, um, you know, unclean right right into our rivers where we get our drinking water. So um. So we had a flood. Um, to me, what's that flood? It's, it's yet another, hey there, um, things are a changing. Um, it's probably not just a freak thing. It's the, uh, you know, I think it was the, the letter I, is that me? Yeah, so that's, it's, it's the ninth um, named storm of the year. It's like the earliest ninth named storm. Again, probably on record. If not, it's close to, but, but um you know, every year that we get crazy storms and stuff and, 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 and concentrated like they are, um, we just can't keep saying that they're, you know, just odd acts. It's that, you know, there's, there's patterns here. So when, when, uh, when you get a flood like that, you know, you, you would hope that given all the bad things that, that occur, that, that, uh, that maybe some people who were in leadership positions might actually heed what, what that flood is telling us. I really think it's doing us a favor, you know, Slight side note, I don't want to um, de-emphasize it when, when we're talking about, you know, a, a site the size of the uh, Hillco site and um, all the injustice that, uh, that's been associated with that site for, um, you know, almost two centuries. Um, the, uh, I had mentioned briefly that I had been just literally mentally exhausted from fighting um, a, uh, a development in, in, uh, in, in White Marsh Township in the, in the on the site of the old Finneran and Haley paint factory right on the Schuylkill river. And, um, there the developer is still, even though, um, we kind of, you know, at my lead, um, stalled them a bit and have them again, reconsidering their plan. But, you know, it's still at the moment, their plan calls for them to be, you know, building a part of their residential development, um, well within a hundred feet of the river, which, you know, in my opinion, you just, you, you don't do. And, um, it's interesting that after that exhausting meeting, 
I, over the weekend, the developer, the lead uh, team member contacted me directly because I've been kind of the most outspoken person on my planning commission and said, hey, can we, um, can I get my landscape architect and uh, can we have a meeting? We're happy to do so at the site. We want to run some stuff past you. And we also, we've been um, changing the plan around. And so, um, you know, in, with, with uh, my nutty schedule, I finally got back to her and, uh, and then we, and I said, hey, you know, I can't make it until, actually I, I offered to come this evening after this podcast. And, um, and uh, but what's interesting is um, that was before the flood and think about it, this is a site literally right on the Schuylkill River. Um, it's right, you know, right, right above the, uh, the, the, the city line by a mile or so. And, um, you know, um, and, and I've seen some images of, um, of what happened. And this is close, this is like lo the, the lower, would be like where the uh, southern part of Conshohocken would be on the river. Um, you know, the lower part of Conshohocken um, is a piece of White Marsh Township. And um, if, you, if you look at images in that area, the entire septa tracks um, that, that, that go out to Norristown totally inundated and so anything from the tracks to the river more and more inundated and so you know again i'm hoping uh that they they're not meeting with me just yet because um they know what my response is going to be to anything that shows them building anywhere you know within 100 feet of the um of, of the river um why am i saying 100 feet it, because they 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 um, had gotten a a variance to um to to like not to, you know, to actually be able to build, um, you know, they were granted this not by my group, um, you know, let closer than 100 feet to, to the river. To me, um, in, in today's world, you know, the buffer should be 300 feet, you know, like for uh, giving room for riparian um, area, floodplain restoration and the like. But, um, but to have the audacity to even, you know, encroach beyond 100 feet is just to me, it's just, it's ludicrous, let alone it's, it's life-threatening. And, uh, and even though they, they raise these condos up or these, these apartment buildings so that, you know, the lower level is just a garage and, um, you know, and, and, and you have an elevated, you know, first floor, you know, you, like if you look at what happened on Tuesday, um, it's, it's really loud and clearly telling you that, um, you know, maybe, maybe you should rethink your plan. So we'll see what happens there. But that's just a side note. Another um, development between uh, last week and, and, and today, um, just... Uh, Tuesday, the day of the flood, but um, the, the author that wrote it wasn't certainly maybe wasn't aware of the uh, how bad that flood was going to be. Um, there, you might have seen the op-ed in the Philadelphia Inquirer on Tuesday, and it's entitled "Hilco's Cleanup Plan for South Philadelphia Refinery is a Lost Opportunity." Happens to be written by um, Harris Steinberg. Um, he's a uh, He's an exec. He's the executive director of the Lindy Institute for Urban Innovation at Drexel, um, where I also teach. Um, but he was also the person who um, he led the public process to create the civic vision um, that guides the development of the Central Delaware Riverfront. What the what the article doesn't say is, and I should have I should have like double checked this. But if my memory is correct, when he was with Penn Praxis um, years ago. Uh, he, I believe, led the master planning process on behalf of PIDC, the Industrial Development Corp, um, to create a master plan for the Lower Schuylkill River. So he doesn't mention that in his editorial. Um, the little byline describing who he is doesn't, but um, it might be relevant. But um, so he, 
he says a lot of stuff that I agree with. Um, yeah, and he's and he's 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 calling to attention that um, that the proposal would would not allow future residential use of the property, calling for the creation of a an exposure barrier to cover, not remove the extensive pollutants, um, you know, within the uh, soil and groundwater. So he, you know, he sees that as an issue. Um, then he says um, at at fourteen hundred acres, I thought it was thirteen hundred, but it, so it might even be fourteen hundred acres. The former refinery is larger than all of Center City, the original city of, um, of Philadelphia planned in 1682 by William Penn that stretches river to river from Vine Street to South Street. You can pack a lot into the four, into 1,400 acres in what could easily be a whole new section of the city. So I agree with that. Um, and then I'll, I agree with a few other things that he indicates, but he stops way, way short of anything that, um, that I suggested um, would have been a much better and simpler approach to that site. You know, my, my, my idea is clean it up and turn it back to nature and nature in a certain way and in, in such a way that, that people can also have safe public access to. Um, so, um, but he's, he's asking like, where was the public process to inform Hilco's plan? Um, you know, have the communities who live for generations in the toxic shadow of the refinery been heard? What benefits will accrue to the public? All good questions. Um, and then, um, and then he, uh, and the, but then he starts kind of bringing back what I believe are vestiges of that old PI, PIDC plan. You know, where are the cries to think of this parcel as a long-term strategic extension of the city and its neighborhoods, business districts, parks, and trails? And, um, you know, indicating that, that um, maybe there should be a discussion around this, but, but, um, but allowing for maybe there's, there should be, you know, mixed use. Um, this is a goal, you know, it's a gateway area and that kind of thing. Um, I agree again when he says Hilco is taking the easy way out, maximizing their asset and in return, giving nothing of significance back to the city. Yes, yes, yes. And the surrounding communities. Um, I agree with him that there's a, uh, a net, that the net effect is a lost opportunity. Um, but, you know, what, what, you know, where I, where I wish that our leaders and, and people in, in, uh, in, in managerial or leadership positions you know, you know, such as being um, his executive director position, is, is, is that really what we want to do here? Do we really want to just go back and, then, and, and have a big balance of interests and still say, okay, well, maybe we need to get like a residential development down there. Maybe we need to get some office park down there, which is probably like the, uh, the behavior that would ensue if Hilco wasn't in, in the picture. And, um, and, and, that's, and, and that's where um, uh, I just... Um, you know, I, I, I just, I just differ. And, uh, you know, um, I really think that a big issue with, with, with situations like this and, and, and others like it is that I really think our, our, our leaders, they don't get it. And I think sometimes people feel like that, 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 that solutions always have to be complex. And, um, you know, uh, I, I remember that PIDC master plan. I remember how, you know, it had some green areas that were labeled, you know, some odd names that as an ecologist, I couldn't quite figure out what they were intended to do. But if you looked at it, it was, it was a master plan done by an industrial development corporation. Um, but, uh, you know, so, um, you know, my view of turning it back to a park and turning it to a, uh, you know, a park that connects with FDR park, um, you know, I think a lot of leaders would say I'm too simplistic and I'm, and I'm too naive about this. And, uh, 
you know what I say to that? I say like, yo, you know, hogwash. That's what I say to that. I mean, that's, it's just, that's that I, I flat out disagree with that. And, um, you know, think about if you, if you tuned in or you can always check it out because now we have them uh, posted somewhere on the uh, cloud somewhere, wherever we put our podcasts. Um, when I did the living breath of the tide and, um, and I, and, and during that podcast, you know, I mentioned the situation that, um, that gets captured in a really cool graphic um, display piece at the, uh, at, at the John Hines Wildlife Refuge um, that shows like how much estuary, Philadelphia basically was essentially all estuary and, um, and, and how much of it now remains, which is basically just a couple hundred acres of, of tidal estuary is left. And, um, you know, so you tell me if this is overly simplistic, but, you know, I, I, me, it's, it, it really, 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 um, the, the, the answer isn't that complicated other than when you get into the master planning process of, hey, everybody, great news we're going to create 14 or 1300 acres of, of brand new parkland. We're going to increase um, the uh, Fairmount Park um, holdings over 10% just within, in, in one fell swoop. Okay. Um, Harris Steinberg mentioned that, that that whole area is literally bigger than center city. I mean, what a positive statement if you take an area that's, that actually has, you know, more area than center city and you turn it into just estuary park. But again, you know, th this is my simplistic view, but the one that I really think is the view um, that, that we should be taking, you know, when a city is founded in an area with thousands upon thousands of acres of tidal estuary, and over time, that city takes all but about 250 acres of it, and then a 1,400 acre site on the estuary is built, and then it proceeds to pollute for 150 years and then it kills and sickens and makes miserable countless 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 residents and then like it happened a year ago the whole thing explodes right the whole big explosion you know so, so that, that whole place uh explodes maybe telling us something to me there's just one ethical um just thing that you can do and um and, and again you, you clean it up you turn it back to estuary you preserve it as a public natural space for perpetuity. So, I mean, you know, not, not to sound too, uh, too naive here, but, you know, case closed and, and then, you know, and then start your master planning with that premise. You know, the city took back over 4,000 acres um, in, in, a, uh, in, in the ostensible move of trying to um, save the water system. And then it be, but, but, you know, it, it, that didn't work, but th that, that land persists to this day. And it's the uh, inner core of, of, of original Fairmount Park. Um, if they did it in the 1800s, why can't we do it in, you know, in the year 2020? So, um, so what am I going to do about it? What do you think? Um, well, what I'm going to do is I'm, I'm, I don't want to just talk about it. I want to, um, the article that I referenced in the Times, you know, cites this uh, firm that I, this, I'm sorry, this uh, nonprofit that, that um, I hadn't heard of. I think I heard their name, but I don't, I don't know anybody there called Philly Thrive. And it's this really cool environmental justice organization. It was founded by, a, a, um, by Alexa Ross. The, and um, she was a, uh, who, who went to, I, I think it was Swarthmore College. And, you know, she graduated and settled in Philadelphia and then, um, and then leads processes of awareness. And, and, and it was her group that got connected with some of the, uh, the residents who had become ill 
and then started, um, you know, fighting some of the goings on in Gray's Ferry. So, you know, what I'd like to at least do is like, not everybody knows about environmental or ecological restoration or no, not everyone thinks in those terms, but I'd at least like to share my ideas with, with that group and some of the others that, that might be associated um, and kind of see what happens. And, uh, you know, in my opinion, it deals, it, there's still time to undo the deal, you know, in, in, in numbers, and I say this, you know, I'm not, not naively, but it was only a $23 million deal. The city, uh, let me, what did Harris say? I, he closed his article by saying, we seem to have sold our patrimony for a handful of beans to get someone to pick up the environmental liability. And that's what I said last week. I totally agree with that. The government of Philadelphia, they, they dished it off to somebody else. Um, and that's, you know, could Philadelphia not have, have, have figured out a way to like take from some other program and free up $23 million to like expand Fairmount Park? By, um, by over 10%. Um, and then again, in that master plan, it references that Sunoco still has liability. So I don't, there's no details about it, but Hillco as well will lean on Sunoco to fund a lot of the cleanup that goes on there. So again, not too complicated in my opinion. You know, city, city undoes the deal because if you put enough pressure on this developer, you could make the developer go away. Um, just like I do in my little planning commission and I don't even have the power that pe that city officials do. And, uh, you, you, you know, buy it for 25, let them make 2 million bucks on it or something like that, but take it back, do a, do a plan of restoration and lean like anything on Sunoco, right? They've been leaking pipes underneath our city for like almost two centuries. They've made million, billions of dollars, you know, by um, ruling the underground of petroleum all, all around Philadelphia and beyond. Um, they've, you know, they've, John Hines has a lot of really cool stuff there environmental, in its environmental center because Sunoco did nasty things and then they had to pay penalties and, uh, and you know, lo and behold, they, uh, they, they, it led to some spiffy uh, environmental exhibits. Um, how cool is that when you've got endangered turtles and stuff dying from the, uh, the oil that oozes out of a hundred year old pipe, but that's another story. So, um, so lean on Sunoco, get as much as you can and then make it part of your city's plan. That's, that's a green city. So that's, that's my deal there. I'm, I'm going to, um, again, I'm going to, it's an, I'm going to walk away from it. Um, and I'm going to invite you on a, on a, uh, on a, on a, on a short, actually like a longish walk. Um, but let's go take a walk in the city. All right. And, um, I'm going to go backward from what I, I was going to take us from the, from North to West to South. And in two minutes before my podcast, I said, you know what? The, the, the longest stop is going to be the north, um, based on the story I want to tell you. So let me, um, let's start south, all right? Not too far from the refinery and talk about a couple places, okay? So our, our walk is, um, is a walk through the city, but it's a special walk. It's an environmental racism walk. And, um, you know, there's all kinds of historical tours you can take at Philly. There's all these themed walks. Land Health, that I, that, that's my nonprofit. We, we, um, we love leading oddball um, odd themed, you know, hikes all over the place. And so, um, you know, so, so this one, it, it, it's like, if you wanted to lead a full walk of environmental injustice through Philadelphia, you know, you, you'd have to, you, you would need a month to, to capture all of it. So, um, so I'm just going to focus on, on three places, um, two as briefly as I can be, and, and a little bit longer on the third, because it really, uh, there's some stories within stories there. And, um, and, and, but they, but I have firsthand experience with these places. 
um, as opposed to a lot of other places that I know about, but I can't say that, that either I or my nonprofit um, has a lot of involvement there. So, um, so not necessarily very far from, uh, from that Grace Ferry area. You have another, um, you, have a, you have an area that's in, you know, in, in, in the south and west of Philadelphia um, called King Sessing. It's one of the uh, poorest sections of the city. And um, I, um, for well more than the, the, the past year, um, I've, I've, Kenyatta Johnson is the councilman in that district. Um, I have a close relationship with the, uh, with the, the, the uh, empowered CDC that, um, that's located there. Um, I have a close relationship also because um, the, my former executive director of, um, of Land Health, who, who uh, tragically died young, um, Paulette Roan, um, grew up near that area and she was, um, she, she was our executive director and she was also the head of the uh, friends group for um, Mount Moriah Cemetery. And if you know where Mount Moriah Cemetery is, it's a fascinating historic site that straddles Philadelphia and Yadin. And um, it's the largest abandoned cemetery in the entire country is what I believe it to be. Um, it straddles Cobbs Creek. And, um, and, and uh, so she and I did, did a lot of like um, planning and, and, and hoped for work in, in, in the area of King Sessing. Um, and so, um, so but uh, oh, well over a year ago, we had a meeting with Kenyatta Johnson and, and some of his people and he was, and then he was thrilled by our idea to take like, you know, what are, what are no shortage of vacant parcels in King Sessing and turn them into green space. And so basically um, I saw them as emerald green stepping stones that would, uh, that, that would take you down, you know, from an area around like Woodland Avenue down 60th street um, all the way to Cobbs Creek and, and stepping stone connectivity in the ecology world um, is it's not the same thing as contiguous connectivity, but if you have a few green spaces that are near each other, there's certain animals that would take advantage of that from a, uh, like a migratory um, or just a movement um, strategy. So birds definitely would go, would fly from a green spot to a green spot to a green spot. And some other things are kind of intrepid or sometimes they feel that there's no, no choice, but you do get, you know, small mammals and, um, reptiles and amphibians and things hopping from one green area to another, even though they got to risk their lives through the city streets. But the idea was there's, you know, there's a lot of depressed areas, a lot of um, basic despair, as, as we were directly told by uh, community members that we met with. The councilman himself says that it's a very sad area. Um, and, uh, and so um, what, what uh, you know, what's happening um, in that area is you just have a multitude of, of vacant parcels. And we said, hey, here's, here's this vision. Um, 60th Street is a pretty major thoroughfare. And let's, let's take three or four of these parcels, there's no shortage of them, and turn them into a place that has native plants, place to sit, place for community to come together, maybe have things like farmer's markets and things like that. And so, um, so we, you know, we, we created a, a, a master plan. And um, I mean, a little like a, a little conceptual um, um, master plan for doing so. Um, everyone in the councilman's office thought it was, you know, the greatest thing since sliced bread and all that kind of thing. And then over the for more than the last year, uh, basically they said drive by, pick some sites out, and then we'll go register. We'll check them out with the land bank and other people in the city to, to see like are they, are, you know, 
is there a clear way to get to you know to, to get those sites um, over to you? Because there's if you've ever read the statistics on Philadelphia, you know we have at least forty thousand vacant lots. You know many, if not most, of which you know result in no tax dollars to the city. They're just sitting there, you know, blighted. And so, um, so but suffice it to say that we we got we we did we spent the better part of a year with plans and with uh with pictures and picking out sites um they we 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 went from a big list to a short list and all that kind of thing all the way down to where we said you know we said here's the list you know it, we, we believe this stuff is available then they again take the list knock it down some more then they end up saying you know what um we'll let you have this property you know that you pick one of these two contiguous properties or maybe you can get both of them because they're right next to each other on this uh on this section of 60th street. Okay. So, um, so we literally identify it and then we say, fine, we'll do that. And then they, and then they said, well, you know, we'll arrange to like work something out, which like, you know, the, as gracious as they are might, is probably only going to be something like a one year, you know, lease on, on, on this land. Again, this is land that's just been sitting for years and years and years, um, help, you know, continuing to help the company, uh, that neighborhood just kind of stay down. And so, um, so then we, um, we've done everything we could. We've identified, like, so basically they said we could have it. We've made our application. And then, you know, you know, I, for some reason, some, some area, some parts of the, uh, of the government, you know, with COVID just maybe stopped working or something like that. And so, so it's just kind of sitting in limbo. So, um, but, but the thing is, the bigger picture here is that what, we go, what we've gone through in Southwest Philadelphia and King Sessing I've gone through it like I can't tell, say how many times, um, trying to get land for, for another place I'll talk about in a second. But, uh, but you have all this vacant land all throughout the city and you expressed interest in it. But then, then what happens is you find out, well, there's, there's, you, you, know, you gotta go through these different departments. And then you find out that there's this thing called councilmanic privilege. And I'm not gonna go into any of that other than to say that you know, we have the, the whole idea of Philly creating a land bank many years ago now uh, was 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 to become a clearinghouse for those parcels, and basically, like if you live if you live next door to a lot, and and you don't own it, but you start taking care of it, why could why can't you get that lot for a dollar? Why can't you have that lot? Like what 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 does anyone have to lose? And so that, that started out with the premise, and then there was the premise that other groups, if they had a an idea, to actually turn that land into something useful, and then and then you know for the city, um, you know, then a tax paying parcel, um, you know. It, let, let's let's make the process easy for that. And since the land bank has been has been created, um, hardly any parcels in, in in you know like not not even one percent of those forty thousand lots have changed hands under that kind of a premise. So it's really um, it's just you know it's all part of the politics, the you know, the the old time political bent of Philadelphia. Just it just makes it makes something that should be so simple so difficult. But what's interesting is. Um, the the uh, the woman from the CDC that we have we have a really strong relationship, um, you know I, I'll, I'll just you know I won't share her name because I didn't tell her I'd be talking about her tonight. But um, but we we were when we were driving looking at these parcels that have just been sitting there, and she one day she just said to me and she and she lives right right in the area right in this exact area, and um, and she knows Kenyatta like you know they're like super tight and close and all that. And she said. She goes, I, I said, I can't believe like, you know, we can't get a hold of this or that you know, like that nobody like, like, like these are these places are just sitting there. And she says, you know what? I don't think they really want anybody to have it. 
I think they just kind of wanted to sit like this. And, um, and it was really, it, it just like hit me because I actually think she's right. Like, why would you have parcel upon parcel? Then you get a nonprofit who has the, the blessing of the local CDC and local neighborhood and local neighbors to do something there that the neighbors are going to get to design. And then on top of that, you, you make it difficult, you know, for that. And also like a one year lease, what are we going to do to vacant land that's been, you know, trashed, you know, for years and years, you know, if somebody like hired me to make it worse, I think I'd have a hard time doing that. But, but that's, that's, so that's what we have going there. But it, but, I, but I believe that this process, because you can, of, 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 of getting land and making it so that somebody can, can, can put it to better use, it's really, um, it, it, most of that land sits in, in, um, in, in, these, in, in these racially um, um, not diverse areas, black, largely black and brown. And, and, and so, and, and a lot of times, like what happens, like nothing happens. And, and, uh, and, and the, you know, the neighbors don't know what to do. They're not aware of the, of the rules. And then when they do try to, like, you know, I know in that same place, there's been a, there's been a plan for a garden nearby there for years. And, and, and apparently the, the, the council person's office won't, won't let it go. And, and, um, and, a, and, and a group that I also am affiliated with at, at Philadelphia University, now Jefferson, you know, they've been waiting to, to, to put a, a little park on this land and, and, and they even have it funded. And, 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 and some power that be doesn't like, won't release that land. So like, like, like what is the reason in, in, these, in these areas? Would that happen in Society Hill? And would that happen in Chestnut Hill? And I don't think the answer is, is a yes there. So anyway, um, so that's, that's, that's just, oh, what, what are we going to do about it? Well, I'll tell you what we're doing about, we're, I'll tell you what we are doing about it. Um, we, already, we already got started last week, but um, you know, what, what we said was, um, screw it. Um, we, have the, we, have the, uh, we have the site located. Um, it was picked by the, uh, you know, by the councilman's people. And, um, and so we've already started the process of putting plants there. And then we're going to put seeding there and we're just going to do it anyway. And, um, and then we're going to see, you know, like, you know, if they want to say like, Ooh, you, you don't have a signed lease. I'm going to say, so what do you want to do? You want to take our plants away? They'll probably say no. Um, but, um, but we're just going to do it anyway. And, and, and we've, we've, we've started the ball rolling so that this summer we're going to, we're going to have at least um, phase one of a public space on, on land that's just been sitting, you know, idle for all these years. So, um, so we, so again, Activism, you know, if they're not gonna, if they're not gonna give us the green light, we're just gonna make believe the light is green, and then they, and then you know, let, let them, you know, do what they may with us. But uh, that's that's what's going on there. If we head um, more towards the, the heart of West Philadelphia, um, let's let's stop at West Parkside. So um, Land Health, um, our organization has. A native plant nursery that we're really proud about. Um, if you're interested in it, check our website out and you can learn all about it. You can see our plants and come and buy them and whatever. But uh, so we lease land from the Industrial Development Corp at 49th and Parkside. Um, the whole area in, you know, kind of, you know, between like 50th and 48th and Parkside Avenue, all the way to the, uh, the railroad tracks, the, the old R5, the main line of the Pennsylvania Railroad. Um, a, a lot of that area was Pennsylvania Railroad um, train yard. Well, we all know if we're old, um, like me, um, we, we know that Pennsylvania Railroad um, is no more, um, died with all the other uh, big railroads of the day and was taken over by, um, you know, Amtrak and 
septa and that kind of thing. So anyway, um, so land has just sat in that area for, for like decades. And so, um, so out of the, you know, I, I, I will try not, the, the, the PIDC let us lease a couple acres. Um, and for three years now, we've been growing plants, native plants in a, uh, in a nursery setting, doing all kinds of um, educational programs around it for young and old and, and, you know, people with disabilities and it's beautiful. So, I mean, again, um, I invite anybody to check this out in person, just let us know. It's, it's a, it's a really cool thing. It's, it's land health living what its mission is, which is to put nature back. So we literally have a site that has more plants on it now than when we, than when we got there, let alone we grow thousands of plants each year there. So, so we have that going on. But what's, what's PIDC um, in all this? Well, they're the Industrial Development Corporation, right? And so I asked them, like, now it's been over a year, I said, can we get a market price? What if we could raise the money and buy our land? Because, you know, they're just giving us a lease there. And for political reasons that I know have something to do, um, you know, with a few different groups, but, but, uh, but definitely there, the council person is Curtis Jones, um, they won't even say you can like they won't even give us a high price. They just they just won't even let us even say say we had a lot of money, which we don't. Um, say we had it, they they wouldn't even give us a price to buy it. Meanwhile, we've taken this land on almost on a daily basis. We have to call three one one because somebody dumps illegally right at our entry point where we go into our nursery. So we're taking this land that's just been sitting doing nothing, collecting garbage over the years, turn it into this amazing productive use. But the rest of the land around there used to sit idle and empty. And then recently PIDC for some reason got a lot of interest. And so, so they, they basically have said that most of that land is spoken for with other um, light industry people, um, companies coming into to that area. So the fact that, that that land sits in West Parkside, Belmont Avenue is the dividing line between West Parkside and East Parkside. It's surrounded by neighborhoods, okay? Um, mostly poor, mostly black, the fact that, that you have, and it's across the street from Fairmount Park, um, you know, and the Industrial Development Corp, it's still, you know, it's a piece of, of city government. Um, you, for, for whatever reason, you have the push to make that industrial, right? Not residential, um, you know, for whatever set of reasons. And, and everything is all about the jobs, right? So, um, you know, so that, that's why we're probably on borrowed time unless we can raise enough um, support not money, but support to kind of put the pressure on and say, hey, we'd like to buy this and deed restrict it so that our site stays a green space literally forever. But again, um, getting away from the, the issue here. So we're on 49th Street. If you take 49th Street um, and, and you, go, you, know, you go away from Fairmount Park and you head in the direction right towards the main, towards the railroad tracks, in like right now, kind of like um, in a scene from Wizard of Oz, except not a good scene, you see this big, bright yellow structure in the sky. And, um, and what it is, is it's a, it's a freshly painted, freshly built concrete or cement factory that, that PIDC allowed to be built in, in West Parkside. If you check West Parkside out, or Parkside, it's a very historic area. It's, it, it's the, the, the Parkside neighborhood, is considered a historic district. It's across the street from another historic district, which is called um, the Centennial District. And the whole area is, 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 is like, you know, is, uh, is, is borders the original part of Fairmount Park. So I, I don't know how much more 
historic you can you can get than that. So in this in this certified historic district, um, somehow in in within the last year, um, it, it like a project was allowed to be built, and and I remember when the when I heard that the project was going to go up, and I said, "Are you kidding me? A concrete factory?" Um, you know, that's like, and, and, they, and, and, the, and the response I got was, well, it's going to be state of the art. There's not going to be any dust. And so, um, you know, one, like, if you expect me to believe that, um, I'm not going to believe it. I found that, and, and by the way, they, like, I never saw like an announcement. I never saw much publicized about this. I don't, re I, we've been in that area for a long time. I don't ever remember any public meeting getting advertised, but I looked up and it's called Silvi, S-I-L-V-I. And it looks like it's a, maybe it's a family owned business. They have, they seem to have a lot of these, these um, cement factories or concrete factories, but like, what do you like? Is is that big, tall rectangular structure not akin to a big middle finger on the neighborhoods of East and West Parkside? Like, it's 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 literally a couple blocks from Fifty Second Street, which is the uh, one one of the most um, prominent, busiest, historic black business corridors, not just in Philadelphia but really in the country. That's 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 right there, and then you have you have all the all, all these residents living living all around there, and somehow you 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 allow a uh, like this isn't light industry like you know the Comcast building that 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 is in that in that area as well. This is a concrete plant. Say it is 100% state of the art, and say for some reason they are able to like contain all their dust. What about the trucks that service it? I mean, like how? And this is on right off of Parkside Avenue, right? Park side, side of the park, um, as beautiful as living on Central Park, just the, just the property values aren't nearly as high. And you, and you have trucks going in and out. Um, go take a look there someday. After you come and stop by our nursery, um, you know, take a peek and, and see the size of this thing. So, but again, I don't remember any public process around that. Maybe there was one. Um, maybe it was just like clandestinely advertised and, you know, in, in the hopes that not a lot of people would turn out. But, uh, but that's, that's not even old. That just happened. It's again, look how fresh the yellow paint is on it. Um, I don't even think, I don't even know if it's finished. looks like they're still constructing in there, but, um, but you know, that, you know, we, I work alongside that now when I'm at the nursery and, um, and, and I just can't think of a more blatant example of, 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 of racial injustice. Um, you know, again, ask yourself, would that happen in, in Mount Airy now? Would that happen in, in Chestnut Hill now? Would that happen in Society Hill now? You know, um, it like you, you know what the answer to that is. So, so that's that. We're gonna like walk away from West Philly, and um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna take you for the for the remainder of our little uh, time together. By the way, one one quick interruption. I I, um, I do these now. Um, you know, from from my mind to yours, um, and then uh, if, if anybody has questions, um, and I and I noticed that that, that one person um was cool enough to to, to shoot a note on the chat, but it, but um. Any questions that emanate from my, my discussions, um, you, you could always like in, info at landhealthinstitute.org, um, you know, send your questions, send your comments. Um, if you want further information on any of this, just, just contact us and, um, you know, and we'd be happy to, uh, to share more with you. So um, just, just please note that. So now we're gonna go north and, um, you know, it's our longest stop because it's a really long story and it allows me to kind of like, again, um, you know, let you into the ecosystem of my mind. Um, it's actually two stories. And it, when we go to this, this North Philadelphia neighborhood, um, it's, it's a story about a creek 
and a story about a neighborhood. Okay. And, um, that's, that's that I got to tell you those stories and I have to meander. Okay. I can't help myself. All right. It's just sort of like part of my DNA, um, you know, ecological meandering, you can call it. So, so there's a couple names here to note. Um, Lo, uh, Logan is the, ta- is the, is the, um, is the section of North Philadelphia we're going to be talking about and, and a Creek that flows, it still flows, but it flows no more by the light of day called Wingahawking. Okay. So let's, let's talk about those names before we tell the story of, uh, injustice that's, um, been, that has rained down upon the Logan neighborhood, um, for, for decades. So, um, this will really like get us way back in time. So Wingahawking, what does it mean? I can't tell you for sure, but apparently um, it's, it was named by James Logan. Um, we'll talk about him in a second um, for Chief Wingahawking. And, uh, and just, just even checking it out on a couple online um, references, um, it may mean favorite land for planting, which by the way, I think uh, might inform what it would be good for these days when we talk about um, what's there now. Um, another potential uh, uh, meaning is a crooked water, okay? So, but who's Chief Wingahawking? Or, or at least, you know, where, where, you know wh- what is he from? Well, we probably all know that, um, you know, who used to be here before any uh, Europeans set foot on our land. It was the Lene, Lenape um, Native Americans that, that lived here. And so, um, you know, do you guys listening in, like, how many uh, Lene Lenape do you know? Um, I think I might have met a couple that, because that, um, I once went to this thing at the Norristown or the Elmwood Park Zoo, um, and they were trying to kind of celebrate Lene Lenape history. Um, you don't bump into them in the street every day. Um, you don't bump into the street um, every day because, um, like, we, we, uh, we as, you know, our, our European ancestors, we're, we're really good at, um, at, 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 at like resting land from, from, from others. So, um, you know, so Philadelphia, before it was Philadelphia, it was just the land that was you know, casually passively lived in by the Lene Lenape. Um, they never really thought uh, like to them, like what would a property right be? They traded with the land. They respected the land. Um, there weren't, there weren't a lot of, you know, there wasn't like a population explosion around. They didn't think about boundary lines and this is my land and this is your land kind of a thing. Um, you know, so, um, so very interesting here that, that we have an, and we have a neighborhood. Um, it has a street that runs through it called Wingahawking street, but it has a Creek that as we find out soon that, that doesn't flow above it anymore. It flows below it. Um, and it's called Wingahawking. So, um, so that's going to, we'll talk about that. And then this guy that named, um, that, you know, that, that, uh, neighborhood, um, uh, um, he named the Creek and then, and then, uh, the neighborhood got named for him, this, uh, James Logan guy. Well, you might remember your, uh, colonial history and your Pennsylvania history. So James Logan, that's had, you know, not a few things, uh, <laughs> named after him. He was William Penn's secretary. And then, um, and then he was in, in, in 1722, he was, uh, became mayor of Philadelphia, um, for a time, for a couple of years, starting in 1736, he, he became the governor of the colony of Pennsylvania. So, um, so guess what he did while he, while he was governor? Well, he played a really big role in, in territorial expansion of the colony. And, and um, like Pennsylvania um, in our history is, is like notorious for this thing that was called the Walking Treaty of 1737. Sometimes you hear it called the, the, 
the, I've heard it, the Walker purchase or the walking purchase, but you know, the, the, the gist of the story is, um, you know, there was vague wording in, in, in some kind of, in some kind of a treaty or a contract, but somehow the Lene, the, the Lene Lenape agreed to cede, you know, or give up as much territory as a man could walk in one and a half days. Um, you know, again, where that came from, you know, separate story, but, um, but what, what happened was at the, at the, uh, you know, un, under the direction of, of Logan, um, a path was cleared ahead of time. And, and, uh, and he and his cronies looked at the wording of whatever this, you know, treaty stated, and then they got runners, right? You know, people maybe who could, if they, uh, if they were around now might win the Boston marathon or something. And, um, basically they, they did this walking deal for one and a half days and they managed to in, increase um, the size of the colony of Pennsylvania by a million two hundred thousand acres. Okay, um, and then beyond that, you know, some of the the, the direct results of that were um, the Lenny Lenape people um, became diplomatically isolated, and then a, and a real breakdown in relations between um, them and, and the rest of Pennsylvania took place. And again, you know, here we are today, and you you the, you know there aren't. You, there certainly aren't any any real presence of uh, Lene Lenape, um, other than we name streams and streets after them. Um, it's it's like uh, isn't that a nice thing? We do the same. We we're not like we're pretty good with our um you know with our with our nostalgia. We don't we don't um we don't only name streets and things after uh, after people that we um throw out against their will and against their rights. Um, you know we do it with like trees that we kill too, like like you know Chestnut Street, Chestnut Hill, um, things like that. Um, you know, not a lot of chestnut trees because they, they all died in the 1900s from chestnut blight, but, um, but we still call streets after, after them. So humans are really good at um, doing a number, but then we commemorate some of our, the numbers that we do um, in, in names. So, um, so here's, the, uh, here's the deal. So once upon a time, you had this flowing creek um, called the Wingahawken Creek. And, uh, and it, it starts out in places like um, pieces of Germantown, pieces of Mount Airy. Um, if you want to see Wingahawken Creek flowing today, go, um, go, go to uh, um, Aubrey Arboretum. And you can find this, this not too long ago. They daylit a little section of a tributary, which, flow, which is just a tributary. It's small. It's like a little spring. Pops out of the ground. There's a spring. There's a ruined spring house. It's very cool. Um, if you're interested, check out... Um, I don't publicize it because I need to do something with it, but I have a, uh, if you look up a, um, a YouTube site called Wonder Sensing, um, I have a, a video that I shot for a class that I taught one, and, by, and, and forgive me when you watch it, if you do watch it, um, it was the first GoPro class that I shot after the world went black when um, the pandemic hit and they started turning all the classes online. So, um, so I wanted to talk about the story of uh, Logan and so I shot a video there. So you can see what all this looks like up close in my video. I think it's called A Creek Runs Below Us. And um, you'll find it on my Wonder Sensing YouTube channel. But anyway, you can go to, to Aubrey Arboretum and see some cool little spring flowing through like huge bir uh, river birch trees and the like. Um, but then all of a sudden it comes to a hole and, it, and you don't see it anymore. Um, so basically from that point forward, any parts of the Wingahawken Creek they're part of this, the largest sewer system, the, the, the largest section of sewer in the entire Philly sewer system. So go figure. So Wingahawken Creek flows, you know, from that area in Northwest Philly into North Philly, 
um, makes its way all the way to Juniata Park. And then it meets up with the Taconi Creek in, um, in Juniata Park. And, um, and then when those two of them join, or when they used to join, they, they create the uh, Frankfurt Creek. Um, so, uh, so at the end of my video, you'll see the, the largest sewer outfall pipe in the entire city. You'll see me in it, by the way. Um, by the way, with that flood we had yesterday, um, that thing would have been totally uh, flowing um, everybody's sewage and stuff that comes out of their toilets and disposals and the like, um, because, uh, because that's, that's an area of combined sewer. And, um, and so like right now, the Wingahawking Creek um, is part of a sewer system that flows to Philly's sewer treatment plant, but because it's on this old fashioned combined sewer system, um, once enough stormwater gets in there, there's a, a release mechanism that prevents um, sewage from flowing back into people's houses, which is a nice thing. But in order to do that, um, a mixture of sewage, untreated sewage and stormwater flows right into our creeks, right into the river where Philadelphia Water Department pulls the, the water back out and it goes into the water treatment plants for us all to drink. So, so Wingahawking Creek now is all, is all part of that, but it's part of it not from a living standpoint, it's part of it from a sewage standpoint. So, um, so, that, so, the, so the creek flows underground. Well, it, it, it follows this meandering path still, the sewer does. And, and so the creek used to flow right through what, what is now the uh, neighborhood of Logan. And um, what, what's happened in, in Logan is that um, in, in the, in, they, they buried the creek. Um, it took about 50 years probably, but late 1800s into the early 1900s, they, uh, you know, they, they put this whole big creek in a huge pipe network. And then they, they thought, wow, we're pretty crafty here. So they, they, they wanted to build a neighborhood there. So what do you, when you want to build a neighborhood over a creek, you can't, what do you, what do you do? You know, creeks cut valleys. So um, sometimes they could be 30, 40 feet deep. That's what creeks do. Um, so if you want to build houses there, you need to fill the valley and make it pretty flat. So that's exactly what they did, just like they did all throughout most of Philadelphia, not Northeast Philly, which was developed later when they kind of realized maybe it's not the best idea to, to bury your streams. But, um, but if you look at historic streams, um, of Philadelphia and the streams that flow today, you'll realize that we got about 10% of the streams still seeing the light of day <clears throat> compared to what we had back in, uh, you know, several hundred years ago. So the Wingahawking Creek is this big creek flowing under, underneath Logan. So the quick story on Logan is that um, the, uh, they, they built a whole neighborhood of Logan, much of it, you know, on top of the old floodplain of, uh, of Wingahawking Creek. And they, 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 these people were really, you know, were progressive and smart thinkers. They um, they they found a really good thing. So they thought to fill in the valley. Like like why waste topsoil? You know what what why why go for like real soil that you can dig up somewhere else because it's expensive and it's going to be a cost and all that kind of thing. Um, so what, what did they do? They used one of the cheapest things, which has no cost by the way. They used a waste product. They used coal ash. Um, even to this day, coal is burnt. In, in abundance to, you know, for in, in coal-fired electricity plants and, 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 other, and other facilities. So back in the 18 and 1900s, coal was, it was definitely the king of fuel and everything. So there was no shortage of this stuff. If you've ever picked up coal, um, coal ash, like I have, <laughs> um, because of some of my prior work on a, on a, on a, coal, on a coal ash landfill, um, and you touch it, 
it feels a lot like the flour you might use, the white flour that, you know, no whole wheat or anything, no, no substance whatsoever. The flour that you use to make your bread, um, white bread, um, this, it has kind of that consistency. So basically, there's no structural integrity to coal ash. So you fill a big hole with like, you know, many, many tons of coal ash, um, and, then you, and then you build a neighborhood over it. So what, you know, so what happened over the years is that houses started to subside. You know, one day somebody realized that, you know, their porch kind of doesn't match up with their, with their neighbor's row house porch. Um, all of a sudden people's floors start kind of listing to one side or another. And then, um, so, so just kind of got progressively, slowly but progressively worse over the years. Um, at one point you had, you had a, a pipe explode because a, uh, you know, a, a gas pipe, you know, came, came busted apart and somehow then, uh, you know, um, somehow that natural gas got ignited. And then finally, when the eighties roll around where there was, after there was a fair amount of subsidence, um, you had a pretty severe gas explosion. Um, some people died in the, in, in, in it. And then the city finally stepped in and the city did what it's really good at. It, um, it, it said, you know what? Let's move everybody out. So, um, and let's use our, this nifty thing that we, same thing we use to get to create Fairmont Park. Let's use eminent domain. So basically, um, we're going to give you what we tell you or what the market tells us. And then we tell you your house is worth. So if you're, if you, you know, if you're living in Logan and you're told to move out and you want to try to have an equivalent house in some other neighborhood, is that, is that, is, are the dollars that the city gives you for your, for your row home? going to um going to get you somewhere else equivalent you know probably not and 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 the process if you talk to residents to this day um you n nobody would deem it a fair open um process by any stretch so the city basically forced almost a thousand families out of that area by the 90s or maybe around 2000 they had proceeded to then knock every every one of those houses down and they created um what today is notoriously known as the Logan Triangle. And if you, if you, uh, you know, if you're image oriented, you know, put in 11th and Wyoming on your uh, maps application or something like that on your phone and then go and then do it like look above it. And you'll see that, see that the area um, of green that'll show up on your map satellite view or otherwise um, is, 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 is roughly in the shape of a triangle. And so th this area is, is about 45 acres. It's probably the largest um, contiguous tract of vacant land in the city. And, you know, for the last bunch of years, um, the city has had several different plans for what they're going to do with this area. Um, nothing has been done in this area, with one small exception I'll share in a minute. Um, but, but basically, the, the, the town or the, 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 the community has had all these promises made to it, and none of the promises has been kept. The guy who used the word dumbfounded that I referred to last week, um, you know, Brian Abernathy, when he's, his last job before working for uh, Mayor Kenny was he was head of the Redevelopment Authority. And I was present at his, um, at his last public meeting that he led um, when it wasn't public that he was going to be leaving his post, but he said to all the people gathered at this meeting, and he said it in a very heartfelt manner, he goes, look, I've been working with you guys by the way, this is not a quote, but, you know, but, but um, it's just a it's, a, it's a paraphrase of what my mind recalls. But, you know, you know, we've been working close together now for, you know, all these years and stuff. And there's a, there's a chance that by the end of the year, I'm not going to be in my position anymore. But let me tell you this, I'm not going to forget about you no matter where I go. Um, you know, like I am going to advocate for Logan. 
Um, I'm, you know, you, you, you have my word on that and, um, you know, you can trust me on that. And, um, if you go to Logan today and you look at it and then you had been there at this time, you know, now how long has, has it been six years or something, you won't, you'll find like no difference. Maybe you'll see more trash or in places or, or some, or, or something, but you won't see any positive sign of progress anywhere since that promise was made. And that was, that promise was just one of many. And so you have this, you have this area that's sitting and what's happening with it. Well, again, like what does the city do when it has a problem? It doesn't like, it tries to get somebody else to handle that problem. Right? So Hillco is the lucky, uh, the lucky soul that gets, that gets 1300 or 1400 acres for $23 million with Sunoco there to help with the cleanup. That's, you know, that's, that's the city getting rid of that headache, not taking accountability for it. Well, the city, um, you know, put out to, to bid Logan um, like a, a, a potential project. And, and again, um, cutting the story down to, to real simple terms, um, there, there's a developer called the Goldenberg Group that to this day still has, they, they have the development rights um, for, for the uh, 45 acres uh, that's called the Logan Triangle. And, um, but the market conditions for what the Goldenberg Group typically does, which is to build um, the, the, uh, shopping centers in, in um, not generally in urban areas, but in suburban areas. Um, there's a big thing called the Metroplex in Plymouth Meeting. Um, that's their project. It's, it has a, a big um, Barnes and Noble. It has a big Lowe's and a big uh, discount. What's it called? DSW, the, the shoe store. Um, it has a big supermarket there. It's huge and it's very suburban. And man, there's no shortage of park in there. That's what their forte is. And um, so market conditions right now, to get a, like a combination of what they did in West Philadelphia on 52nd Street, which is their development, um, where, where you can find a ShopRite, a McDonald's, and a, and a Lowe's, and then some other stores that are filled in there. That's what they do. They built suburban, flat-roofed, um, big-box shopping centers. Um, and, uh, and so that, that's who the city picked um, to have the privilege of, of redeveloping the Logan Triangle. Um, well, the market conditions aren't really great, even before the pandemic, to get a supermarket and a Lowe's type store, which is most likely what they've been looking for um, to, to, so that they would have a, a reason to break ground there. Um, beyond that, what do you think it's like to build a shopping center on coal ash? Well, if two or three story row homes sink when it's built, what do you think is going to happen to something that has to hold cars and a Lowe's and a supermarket and all that kind of stuff? So yeah, you, you'd have to like drill pilings down in some cases like 50 feet or something so, so that they can get anchored into something firm like bedrock. Um, so basically your cost of construction, you just can't put a slab down and build on top of it. You, 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 you have added costs on day one you know, um, you know, in, in that area. And so it's not looking rosy um, for the residents of Logan. Um, so that's that, like, but, but why can the city tell a predominantly black neighborhood of, of, um, of North Philadelphia promise after promise, but yet do nothing ostensible, nothing you can, you can see um, other than these promises. Well, maybe because they can. And, 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 um, and, and, what, and what do you call something like that? Again, would something like that persist for decade after decade after decade with no end in sight in, in, in some other white neighborhood? And again, I think it's a big resounding no that that, that would not be the case. And so, um, so again, so what are you doing about it? Meaning me, Scott, meaning uh, us land health. Um, 
Well, here's what we've done, but I'm but uh, but to end, I'm also going to tell you what what I even want to do, and it was still motivated by that 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 master plan that just you know ticks the living you know what out of me, um, you know that came out about the Hillco site. Um, well, a cool little story is that about a year ago, um, I was doing some work for uh, Friends Select, the private school in um, in Center City. Um, they said, hey, we got these fifth graders and we're looking for something cool to do that would tie in, you know, have some social justice elements to it and get them outside. What do you think? I said to the teachers, um, hey, uh, what do you think about your kids trespassing on, on, on private property um, that has big no trespassing signs? And guess what they said? Uh, they said, ah, go ahead. That's, that's, that, that sounds cool to us. So, um, so I had to go ahead from the school. Um, and so I took these fifth graders. We studied the area. And the, the day after we studied the area, what did we do? We went onto the Logan Triangle, past the signs that said there's a big fine for trespassing and tell you you can get prison as a result. Um, and, uh, and we built a gorilla garden with fifth graders. And so we built you know, two, two little plots. One had native plants from a nursery. The other one had produce um, plants that, that the neighborhood told us that they would uh, be interested in growing and eating. Um, we laid down special cloth and stuff so that the soil, which is contaminated, um, in, in, in places um, so that there's no, no connection between the roots of our tomato plants and that soil. And so we grew stuff. And then we had, and then other kids got involved over the summer. And so two beds became four beds. And then we, we put some seating there and then we put a bird feeder there. And, and so, and, and, and it was this beautiful, cool little story. The neighborhood got involved. Everybody loved it. We took care of it and it kind of thrived. And, um, and, then, and then what happened? Well, um, it continued into the fall. Um, then we got a call from uh, the, uh, <laughs> the office that, um, that Brian Abernathy used to run, um, the Redevelopment Authority, and they said, you guys are bad, um, you, you, you broke the law, um, you trespassed, you put a garden up, we, went, we want to meet with you. Um, Cindy Bass is the councilwoman who's in charge of that area, so somebody from Cindy Bass's office came, somebody from Goldenberg Group came, and we, like, we, we had our come to you know who meeting um, at, you know, with, the, with the city people, um, where they told us how bad we were. So I said, okay, so I, I take it then you're going to mow it all down. It's your land. And they said, no, 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 we can't do that. Um, the neighborhood will get only get mad at us because um, they, they seem to like it. Um, and uh, they told us they were concerned about, um, you know, some chemicals that they spray on the weeds around there. And is that going to get on our tomato plants? So yeah, they, um, but they basically, um, they tried to work a deal out for us to stay there. But they were saying, like, we're not going to throw you out. So, so that happened. So we continue to make use of the land. We had um, another school and a church up there. Um, kids got involved there. They actually planted winter vegetables there. Again, so the, the land lived on the little section that we did um, with everybody. Like we never had a soul tell us that they weren't thrilled with it. And then, um, then we hear from, uh, from the, the uh, redevelopment authority and said, guys, we got a really great idea. We really don't want you on this land. It's not yours. We have this other land. Um, that's not too far away. Um, it's just down Cortland Street um, from where you are. And basically it's three connected uh, vacant lots adjacent to one another. We think it would be an excellent place to have, like to, to, to build a little park and a place to grow plants and stuff. What do you think? So basically, um, you know, they, they, they tried to entice us to move off. And so what we, and, and then I said, okay, let, we'll, we, we'll, let, let's, let's, let's do it. They sent us six forms. Um, I think it was six. Our executive director, Liza, um, painstakingly went through all six forms, um, filled them out. You know, we, you know, we did all our due diligence and that kind of caca, sent it back to them and said, we're ready to go. 
and then and then um and then the pandemic hits and then we can't even we, you know and we, we can't even hear back from anybody so basically they said you can have this land here's all the forms you got to fill out but they haven't been executed so technically it's not our land so what do you think we did well you guessed it so this summer you can go there now and there's 40 or 50 plants grown in our nursery and that's just phase one um we had a couple people from land health go out there a few times People have already said we want a peach tree. We want an apple. Basically, we have a list of all these things. The neighbors were thrilled that, to find people who, not from the neighborhood, coming in, offering to build a, a garden there and get people involved. So that's what. So that's what we're. That's what we're doing. But to end this thing, um, really back where I started, I just decided that's not all we're going to do here. I'm getting. I'm getting old, you know, and I really want to save the planet and the neighborhoods and all that kind of stuff. And it's just exasperating that, to do this stuff. And so I thought, you know, wh like, what's my, what am I advocating for with the Hillco site? I want to go meet with that um, Philly Thrive group and see like, like, look, let's not take warehouses and let's not even take housing there. Let's turn the damn thing back to estuary. And like, we could create an estuary park there. It, it's, it, if you want to really make help the, the, the people of Gray's Ferry, you know, you'll never help them recover um, fully, but, but, but have, a, have a healthy place to go. Let them live next to a thriving estuary that they can walk through and see birds and stuff and catch fish, you know, in a safe manner and that kind of thing. Um, you know, well, what are you doing, Logan? I'm tired of this thing. It's not going to work as a, as a, uh, a like, nobody's going to build a big box there. And why would you want a big box in Logan anyway? Why do you want a suburban entity kind of a thing in, 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 in a city? Lo the, I didn't say this. The Logan neighborhood was a super solid neighborhood ever since it was built. Um, you know, it was largely Jewish middle class for a, for a lot of years. It became a mixed neighborhood and, 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 and it survived like, like, like in, a, in a positive manner as a mixed neighborhood for many years. And then it became predominantly black, but it was a strong, it, it was like, it was never, there was never, it wasn't a slum. It was, it was a really great neighborhood um, to this day. Like the, the, the residents just like remark about how great it's been to live in, in, in Logan. So, so it wasn't a product of, of um, it, it, at first, of, of, you know, of somebody putting a bunch of um, PHA housing there or anything like that. It was a, it was a strong neighborhood to, 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 to raise a family right you know, on one side of it, bordering Roosevelt Boulevard. It, it, it's only the environmental issue that took place that, that, that caused the neighborhood to go downhill. And um, so, like, you know, so what's the solution there? I don't really think that it's waiting forever um, that for some kind of market condition to be right for somebody to like drill pilings down to bedrock and then put a uh, big parking lot there um, and, and some and some big box stores and some smaller stores to go with it. Um, I think, again, what's the answer? It's simple. Return it back to nature. You can turn it into a park. Trees aren't going to make it sink, right? It's, yeah, it's going to subside on its own, but so be it. Let it subside into some kind of a like, you know, makeshift stream valley. Maybe when it rains, some water will follow that area. But you could do a restoration project there with the community and basically make it green passive space, but design it with the community so you can take all their concerns into account, like safety and where can we walk and where can we find things? And where, what if we want to pop up stores and commerce and things like that? Build it that way, right? Um, and, 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 and how much commerce can you do with low impact structures? I, I, I could go on and on about that. So, 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 so I decided, you know what, let them take the land that we already started using that they told us we can have, even though they can't get, they won't give it to us. 
on top of that, that when we, when we, uh, um, like we're still taking care of that, that other site that we started because we, we realized it wasn't being taken care of. And one of the residents said, Hey, the grass is growing where, where they told you to get out of. So what did we do? We went and we took care of it again. So, um, so, but I'm thinking that's not enough. Like, you know, let's, let's, let's make some noise and let's really put it out there. Like how long are you going to let the Goldenberg group sit on this piece of land with, um, um, until like the market conditions make it so that they can make a profit? Just like Hillco, you know, if, if we make it so that they can't make a profit, they're not going to want to stay there. And if somebody's willing to undo their $23 million deal, you got to think they might say, you know what, let's cut our whatever and get out of here. So that's, that's, that's what I want to do. All right. I, I have a lot of, uh, um, one of our board members lives in Logan. I want to talk to her about this idea. She doesn't even know I'm thinking this yet. Um, and I want to talk to others in the neighborhood and just say like, well, what if we, what if we just floated a plan out there to turn it back to kind of what it used to be, but not just wildland, you know, let's, let's like we're, all these residents we've gotten to know over the years, um, like, let's see what we could do and let's do a real simple plan. You don't need to pay some big master planning company to do it. So, so that's, that's where I want to end things. Um, thanks for uh, letting me go on a little bit here. Um, you know, this goes back to disconnect. Okay. It's, it's that, you know, our, 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 our leaders, have, they, they're, they're disconnected with nature. They're disconnected with communities. Um, they don't regard humans simply as humans. I don't know exactly what they regard them as, but if you, if, you know, they're dumbfounded by the anger, um, you know, that, that, that came from something as, as, as blatant as, as the killing of George Floyd. And then, and then, and then the way police, um, you know, behave in the presence of different neighborhoods. Um, and, and, and they're, you know, and the guy who was running the city for the mayor is dumbfounded, meaning the mayor's dumbfounded as well. But, but the, ang the, 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 like, what are they dumbfounded about? If you go to Logan, there's anger there after a while, like how much, how, how many times can you keep yelling and stuff? But if you check any resident there, 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 there's anger there. There's, you should not be dumbfounded about that. But if you're connected to individuals as humans, then you start to understand their story. And then you're at a minimum, you're not dumbfounded by why they're so angry. But, um, but there's no ecosystem of empathy, which will be a topic of a, of a later discussion um, that, 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 that we have in Philadelphia. And that kind of starts at the top. Um, so, uh, so that's, you know, back to that word of activism, you, you know, for me, you know, I, I don't want to sit and, and just even make these small gardens. I want to I just kind of see, you know, how far can we go there? So thank you again for, uh, for, for tuning in and um, enjoy the coming week. And uh, I will uh, be with everybody again this time next Thursday. See y'all later.